We are so happy that you are able to join us for today's message. Our hope is that it will encourage you in your walk with God and inspire you to reach those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. For more about Global Heart Church, download our app today or visit us at globalheartchurch.com. Enjoy the message. Amen. All right, we're going to get stuck into Luke chapter 12. I'm reading from the NIV. Here we go. This is called Warnings and Encouragements is the name of the passage, not my message. I just realized how confusing that sounded. All right, chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Who's encouraged by that tonight? A couple of people. (laughs) Verse 8, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 11, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. All right, just to set the scene, we have Jesus, God's son, God in a bod, on the earth, preaching, teaching, doing miracles, spreading the good news that salvation had come. And he's preaching and teaching on some big issues and some big areas at this time. And it is packed. He just preached on some amazing, tremendous, important things. And the first question that comes out comes from a man who asks a question about money, riches, wealth, and self. Jesus was teaching this. He was saying, don't fear those who can kill your earthly body. Fear him who, after your body has died, has authority to decide where you go. I think that's a big thing. But then in comes this guy. And he says, yes, that's great. But can you tell my brother to split the inheritance? Can you imagine that? Jesus has just spoken about having a healthy, reverent fear of God, the ultimate judge, the sovereign, holy God, the Lord of Lords. He says that and someone goes, okay, but... Can you ask my brother to split the inheritance with me? Now, it's not exactly like this, but it's a little bit like at a zoo when you're on an excursion, and this has happened to me before, 
and there's a passionate zookeeper up the front. They're talking about why and how we can look after the orangutans. And they've dropped this 30-minute presentation. The orangutans are awesome. We can do this. And then they say, are there any questions? Where's the restroom? That's like this. A swerve to a different topic and to something of less importance. He is talking about someone's ultimate end result in life, where they're going to spend eternity, and this guy comes forward and asks about money. Then Jesus says this. He says, if you acknowledge Christ before men, he will acknowledge you before heaven. That's great. But can you ask my brother to split the inheritance in half with me? Then Jesus says this. If anyone blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, he will not be forgiven. Jesus talking about the unforgivable sin. And the guy's like, hmm. Anyway, can you ask my brother to split the inheritance? Jesus is talking about the unforgivable sin. And I think if I was there on this day, I would have asked a better question. I would have said, Jesus, could you just touch on that for a little bit longer? But the reality is I would have been like this guy because the reality is in this story, we are a lot like this man who comes out And instead of addressing the eternal unseen things that Jesus talked about, we go straight to the present, straight to the riches, straight to yourself, straight to what can God do for me right now. And I want to encourage you. The Bible tells us that we're to fix our eyes on things that are not seen but unseen. And we're to fix our eyes on things that are not temporal but eternal. Before I move on, just in case anyone's stressing, the unforgivable sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I can't bring that up and not address it. A definition of that which is very clear is a willful, determined opposition to the present power of the Holy Spirit. When someone asks if they've committed that out of concern of asking it, it's already a good indicator they're not going to do it. Because no one will ask that and be willfully and determined in opposing the present power of the Holy Spirit. A Christian can't do the unforgivable sin. Let's move on. Just thought I'd better do that. Is anyone grateful that I did that? Was anyone sweating? I saw a couple of, yeah, anyway. All right. Jesus continues to share in this scripture. He talks to everybody there. He says, when you go to the synagogues, the Holy Spirit at that time will teach you what to say. He's saying that the Holy Spirit in that moment is going to teach them what to say in moments where people ask these questions about Christ. And this guy cuts in. That's awesome. But can you ask my brother, if it, you guys get the point, you get the picture. This man's question revealed a part of his intent for being there. How did Christ's teaching affect his personal gain? How did Christ's message affect his wealth right now? But I want to encourage you, God's priority for you and I is to focus on what is unseen and to focus on what is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is uh, is unseen is eternal. We're going to continue on in this passage. It's going to come up on the screen. Luke 12, verse 16, as the story continues. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for himself or for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And I want to preach on that tonight, rich 
toward God. Just turn to the person next to you, even if they're eight seats away, and just say, rich toward God. All right, the scripture continues. I'm going to go from verse 22. Then Jesus says to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Who's encouraged about that? What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Get this into your heart. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. That's us. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Come on, what a great passage of scripture. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus did not come to the planet to make you rich. Jesus came to the planet to save your soul. He came to bring us into a loving relationship with God the Father. Christ's number one priority is not my wealth. Can someone say, no one's going to amen that. People want... But he deeply cares for me and my needs. His number one priority in my life is not my wealth, yet he deeply cares for me and my needs. He is a loving father. He cares for our needs and our life on this earth. The scripture tells us he knows the number of hairs on our head, which for some of us is more than others, but just look straight ahead. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And here's the thing. He also knows the condition of your heart. He cares about those bills, those bills that you need to pay. And he also knows the condition of your heart. He knows that job that you're believing for. And he also knows the condition of your heart. He knows about and he cares about that apartment that you're believing for. But he also knows the condition of your heart. He knows all about those headaches that you're believing to be healed from. And he also knows the innermost parts of your heart. He cares for both. I love that in that passage of scripture, he was speaking of unseen things, things of eternal importance, yet he still took the time to address this man in that space that that man was asking about. God cares for both, but he prioritizes your relationship with him. He cares for both, but he prioritizes your relationship with him. Here's why. Life is more than the acquisition of wealth. Amen. Have you ever heard that saying? It's one of my favorites. I say it six times a day. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You guys ever heard that? So the idea is, is that back in the day, you would wash the baby in the bath and then the water would go dirty. And because the water's dirty, we better throw the water out. But then as the saying goes, the baby goes with it. And we go, oh, I wanted to get rid of the dirty water, but not the baby. Anyway, I've lost everyone. Um, <laughs> I used it one time on a, on, a, on a drumming brand because 
I went to a, 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 a music concert where they had Tama cymbals, and the cymbals were terrible. And they looked terrible. They sounded terrible. They were all clangy. They looked just rough. And I thought, man, Tama is the worst. I'm never buying Tama. Then I found out Tama makes the best drums. They make terrible cymbals, but great drums. I nearly threw the baby out with the bathwater and missed out on what Tama does well because I hated the cymbals so much. Now, we read in Scripture that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people think all money and wealth is bad. God's not interested in my finances. I want to tell you, of course He is. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. A lot of Scripture is about money because God wants to help us in that area. Here's what I know to be 100% true, that as you apply the Word of God in your life, your finances will prosper. I 100% know that. Here's why. Because as you read the Word of God and let it transform you, here's what happens to you. You become more patient. You become more trustworthy. You become more faithful. You become more integrous. You become more loving. You become more kind, which makes you more employable, which means you're going to get a really good job. Because who's, who doesn't want to employ a patient, trustworthy, faithful, integrous, loving, kind person? Then here's what happens. Well, look, it'll make you a great candidate for, job, uh, for a job because 2 Thessalonians says if you don't work, you don't eat. So we need a job. Then as I apply God's word, here's what happens. I grow in character. I grow in humility. I start to seek godly wisdom. I get godly counsel. I'm more teachable. I become a peacemaker. I make decisions based on the word. Now I'm not just a good employee. I could be a leader. I could be someone's boss because I've applied the word of God. I'm being entrusted with responsibility because I'm now trustworthy from applying the Word of God. Here's what else happens. As you read the Scripture, you get vision for your life. You become more driven. You get a value for a good work ethic. You don't just live for right now. You have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, so you've got self-control. Guess what that means? You get better at saving money. So not only are you more employable and you can take a leadership position, you're better at stewarding your money. Guess what happens? You get more money. That's not a bad thing. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. Here's what else the scripture says. As I give to God's house, he blesses me. The Bible tells us the world of the generous grows larger and larger. Of course, your life goes forward. Of course, your finances prosper because you're applying the word of God. Here's the thing. You can begin to go forward in your life. Things develop. You start achieving things. You buy a new Dickies jacket on sale. But... That's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's not what drives me. That's not why I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian because it helps me financially. That's not God's number one priority in my life. But he greatly cares about it. Here's what you don't want to do. Don't think that if you've never worked a day in your life and you've got no money, that that is somehow more holy than having a job. It's not. People would like to think that. Scripture encourages 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God knows if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. You'll be blessed by God to be a blessing to others. If we haven't got anything, we can't give anything, which is such an important part of the Christian faith is that we bless others with what we have. Even if I give someone 100% of my nothing, it's still nothing. <laughs> Proverbs 11:24, he who gives freely grows all the more richer. 
Here's what Jesus did teach us. He taught us freedom from the power of possessions through radical generosity. My things don't own me. That car that I want doesn't own me. That house that I want doesn't own me. I am owned by God. I am owned by God. I'm here to serve God. I'm here to build God's kingdom. God wants to bless you with the intent that it overflows to others. All right, back to the man with the buns. A couple of people think it's Shug's. I should have gone to Lincoln talking about money. Here's what the man with the buns said. That parable Jesus taught, the man with the barns, he built so much, he was going to build more. He sat in his chair. Here's what he said. He said, I will take life easy, drink up, and be merry. I've seen that on t-shirts or something to that effect. But is that not the goal of this generation, to sit down, drink up, and be merry? And I want to say this, it's not just what the generation outside of the church thinks. There's a whole generation in the church that thinks the goal in life is to sit down, drink up, and be merry. That is not the goal. We need to have a goal that is fixed on things that are unseen and eternal. The goal needs to be, what is the will of God for my life? The goal for most people is, how can I get to a point in my life where my time is my own? I have no responsibilities, no plans, no one above me. Here's what else happens. No influence, no effect, and no impact. That's what everybody wants. Look, it's fine to sit down at 70 and enjoy the fruit of what God's done in your life. It's not fine to sit down at 23 and enjoy a mandarin on a Tuesday arvo, thinking that that's what you need to do. It's not about finding rest all the time and stopping. It is about doing the will of God in your life. Here is what God's Word is encouraging us to do. He's encouraging us to get our eyes off what is seen, off the temporal, off possessions, and here's the kicker, off of comfort. And onto what really matters. And what really matters is this. Turn to your neighbor and say, what is it? Here's what really matters. What is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? Three quick points for your phone. Number one, don't chase pleasure, chase the will of God. Don't chase pleasure, chase the will of God. Number two, build towards something that will outlast you. Build towards something that will outlast you. Number three, God wants your life to have an eternal impact. You're going to make eternal ramifications in your life. I want to ask you tonight, what amazing things can God do through your life as you don't focus on comfort, possessions, but you focus on the will of God for your life? What has he placed you here to do? There are hurting people that need to hear that there's a God in heaven that loves them and can free them and help them, and he wants to use us to do it. But he won't interrupt us on our chair looking at our barns until we say, God, would you use me? Would you use me? I like my Sundays off, but I know that's not why I'm here. I like smashed avo on a Saturday morning, but I know that's not why I'm here. I love a trip down south as much as the next person, but I know that's not why I'm here. I love a week in Bali, but that's not why I'm here. I love sleep-ins, but that's not why I'm here. I am here to do the will of God in my life. What you'll discover is as you live a big life for God, as you say, I'm going to get up and go. I'm not going to sit and look at my barns anymore or try and just grow my possessions. I'm going to do something for God. What you realize is you need that trip down south just to keep refreshed. It stops becoming the goal of your life to being something that sustains your life. Those holidays begin from being the only thing that's keeping you going to being in your mind to keep being something that keeps you going physically. 
It can't be the goal of our life. The goal needs to be doing the will of God. What could your time achieve surrendered to God as worship? What could your finances achieve given to God as worship? What could your effort achieve surrendered to God as worship? I want to ask you tonight, what could you do if you really surrendered your life to God and said, look, I'm not going to cut in on eternal things that Jesus is talking about and ask about cash. I'm going to focus on the important things, people's eternity, my standing with God. What am I going to do tomorrow to help build the kingdom? What could you do if you really had that posture in your heart of a life surrendered to God? I want to invite the band to come up. I've got a few minutes left. I just want to close by talking about a couple of legends who have, who have taken this on board. A um, couple of legends, Liam and Lisa Clark, two people from Australia who went to Zambia with two young twin girls to go and plant a church. I tell you what, they have gone, what is the will of God for my life? I don't worry, I don't care about the possessions. I don't care about that stuff. They can say goodbye to Margaret River every three months and smash over on Saturday. They're in Zambia building a church. They've decided to go, it's, life's not about comfort, it's about doing the will of God. I love Matthias and Nicola in Hamburg. They've gone back to Germany to go and build a church with a little baby and they've got, they're trying to rally teams out of nothing. That is paying a big cost for God. But I tell you what, when they die, they're going to have left an eternal impact on this planet and they're going to be able to say, I did what God put me on the planet for. I love compassion. Everett Swanson started it in 1952, going to South Korea, and he saw a need. He dropped everything and begun compassion, paid a giant cost to see thousands of kids led to Jesus. Come on. He wasn't thinking about comfort. He wasn't thinking, how can I get out of more stuff so I can rest on the weekends? He's thinking, what can I do to live a life for God? Come on. What about Gary and Marilyn Skinner in 1994, left Canada, left everything they had to go to Uganda to, to start a church and start a ministry for families. Everything was different. Everything was changed. You think they had a three-story with a pool in Uganda? Heck no. They paid a big cost. They had to leave it all behind to go and do something for God. I'm not on this planet for comfort. I'm not here for possessions. Jesus didn't save me to make me rich. He saved my soul. He saved me from my sin. He's forgiven me and He's called me to a great life. For more about Global Heart Church, download our app today or visit us at globalheartchurch.com.